Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you may be listening to this, you know everything. And I am Nicole BZ. I am really excited to get into this one with you. It's the thing I've been obsessing over for the last six, well, yeah, six weeks, but for much, much longer time than that. And I'm assuming you're listening for a reason. You know what this episode is called, Web3 for the win. I also have FTDW, FTW tattooed on me for all you old schoolers in there. You also know what that means. And you might be on one side of the fence or the other with Web3. So what we're going to talk about today is why the fuck everyone is going on and on and on about it now. Why I am so excited about this. And this comes from my artist, utopian, hippie vision for what is possible. What is possible for you? what is possible for independent small business, and why Web3 hints, whispers, seduces us as the the possibility of independence, of democracy, of access, of inclusion, things that are really important to me. I'm going to paint a little picture. I'm probably going to go off the rails a few times because I am legitimately inspired, and I've been in (laughs) the vortex with this one, and I don't have any intention of leaving. Depending on when you were listening to this, you are either with me and it is June, July of 2022, and you have just downloaded the Web3 Basic B B guide. <laughs> Probably not going to call it that, but I am going to make a step-by-step plan for small businesses, for business owners, so that you can start playing, start experimenting in this space. When I say you're awkwardly early to the party, my friend, less than 16% of the world population is even involved in cryptocurrencies and 1% of the population is doing NFTs. And I'm going to very briefly explain three terminologies, three pieces of information that will influence this conversation and conversations moving forward, but I'm not going to get into everything. Firstly, there's a thousand million resources online. Secondly, this isn't a crypto podcast. This is a small business break free from the matrix. And this is actually a how to program the matrix. We skip to the end of the matrix movies. uh, Whatever your opinion of that last one, we become the programmers now. Okay. And if you do have questions, if you do want me to break it down, if any of this is at all helpful, of course, I would love to do that, but I need to hear from you. So get involved in my world. (laughs) Find me on socials. I know I've been talking about the Discord community forever. This might be the thing that pushes it over the edge because that's where I will get to start to play in Web3 with my community. So find me at the BZ channel on all socials. My website, NicoleBZ.com. You can email me, hello, at NicoleBZ. That's where you can send all of the questions. That's also where you'll be able to access any resources that I've created, this Web3 Basic BB guide. <laughs> and I'm also going to be opening the Anti-Business School in conjunction with the drop of the Web3 Basic BB guide. I don't know that I'm calling it that. It's I've said it many times now. I We'll see. <laughs> it doesn't really roll off the tongue. I feel like there's something better out there. Just willing it to drop in. You can find it, you can resource yourself. But the reason why most people, myself included, took longer than desired to get into this is because a lot of the bullshit online is just like a bunch of like 
nerdy ass crypto bros who just keep using the same terminology over and over and again to explain something, which doesn't help, right? So I get that perhaps the way I'm breaking it down or the way I'm saying it enables you. And if I can be a part of your journey and in some way, shape, or form, I'm facilitating and guiding or making this feel accessible and and exciting, like, let me know. I'll host lives. I will answer Q&As. This is the part like where I just want to make sure that the playing field is full of you guys. Like you are on my team and we're having some fun. Okay. So when I first heard about NFTs, I was aware of a project called CryptoPunks that was going on. And I'm going to be honest, I was thinking about it like art. And it was these funky little 8-bit punks. And, you know, people people kind of on the fringe, but definitely in, in my world were thought leaders, were trailblazers, were the artists that were always like ahead of the curve. And I thought it was cool that someone could sort of marry technology and art and and create something a little chaotic and unpredictable. And people who were interested in that could participate. And then what I thought was really cool is what was happening in what's called the secondary market. And all, and that's just when you buy something originally, you're the primary owner, and then you can sell it. And what was cool to me is for the first time, artists were able to access and even communicate with the people who are the secondary and, you know, so on and so forth, purchasers of their work. Never before has that happened. And it, it sparked something in me. And before I finish that story, I want to I paint this world because I, I have, I'm very aware of the, the anti <laughs> when it comes to tech and AI and everything that's happening. And, and that is one of the reasons why Web3 has become the fucking buzzword of 2022. So there's, there's a few different threads we're going to pull here. So let's start with that last one. Why Web3? Why now? In 2020, Apple realized that people were getting less and less interested in being watched by Big Brother online. And quite purely from a marketing standpoint, although it sounds altruistic, they realized they could differentiate themselves as one of the biggest sort of tech communities. You know, Apple users are in their own little cult, right? And and kind of like have been since I would say the early 80s. So how, you know, how do you differentiate yourself in a world where tech is increasingly accessible, where most of the population is using some kind of a smartphone? You know, what makes you you? And Apple, Apple tested out this theory of privacy. And because of the, the infiltration of Apple devices, so I think it's about 60% of the world is using an iPhone. And about 50% of the world is using an Apple computer, which is over a billion people. And Apple started teasing out this idea and sort of letting marketers and, and business know, we're going to give our users the opportunity to opt out of tracking. And this distrust, the, 
Privacy has always been a concern with the internet because obviously data can be tracked very easily, very open, very transparent. And that's when the internet first came about. That's what was so exciting is that every single person could have access to information. But we quickly realized there could be a lot of fucking information. And some of the people, we might not agree with some of the information or some of the information might be downright dangerous. So as that conversation is occurring, introduce these companies that create central organization points. So you think AOL or Yahoo, eventually Google, obviously MySpace, and then Facebook. And I know there was a lot of others. There are a lot of others. And what these companies realize is if we can get as many people as possible to gather in our community, in our ecosystem, that gives us influence. But the challenge was is that none of these companies understood how to monetize. So once they got all of the people using it, and this has kind of been like the business plan for any tech-based company, is you want to get as many users on board as possible. However, when you give people free access, it's very challenging to make them start paying. And, you know, Amazon was playing with this with the Prime membership, and that price just keeps going up and up and up for obvious reasons. So what these companies realized is what's more valuable than charging people to use is to sell the people's data who use this platform. And the intention, I'm sure, or I like to think, was that by giving people a more customized and personalized experience, their online, their digital universe would be more efficient, would feel more customized. And we all love, you know, a customized, unique, tailored to us journey. Now, obviously, that altruism lasted about three seconds. And so what happened was, is our data and every single move has been tracked. And now, you know, you sneeze and you see an advertisement for a Kleenex and it feels fucking creepy. Now, combine that with everything that's happening in the political world, layer that with everything that's happening environmentally. And we as the humans start to get very, very dubious around what is happening in tech. And then we see documentaries and we start to tune in. And even the creators, the original programmers are saying it's gotten a little bit out of our hands. We don't know what the AI is going to show you next. Now, when you hear that, it's fucking scary. But what they mean is we don't know which advertisement. It's not like the AI, you know, we haven't uh, gotten to Skynet yet. <laughs> and, and quite honestly, I don't see that as our future. But what I wanted to share is why Web3, why now? And so just to kind of wrap that one up, in September of 2021, Apple dropped the iOS 14 operating system, which allowed people to opt out. 88% of users opted out. So that is 888 million people worldwide. That was the first thing that happened. And it fucked with Facebook, hence Meta, right? Like, and when you think about that date and what was happening around that date, you're gonna, you're gonna see a lot of happenings and like things will start to make sense. When I kind of go back in time and I go, oh, interesting. Ah, okay. Yep. Yep. And you'd, like you may also the GDPR ruling in Europe so that all cookies needed, you know, you needed to create that accept thing. And so suddenly like getting online, signing up for things, it just got a little clunkier, right? And for some people it became prohibitive. Like I, I was talking to my mom and if you've been paying any attention, 
she's she's a pretty extreme example in terms of her ability to use tech at the, the moment. But she like she literally can't use her phone now. It's it's overwhelming for her. And anytime she tries to get online to log into a site, the steps involved are just are just too much. And it's frustrating for her because a year ago, that didn't need to happen. She didn't need to enter a password and then a two-factor authentication and then check her email and, you know, so on and so forth. So the user experience has gotten pretty, pretty raunchy. <laughs> and then, then Apple dropped another bomb, which was disallowing companies to track certain email open rates. And, and I forget what they called it. It was like the mail privacy protection. That's what it was called. And I think this this only dropped at the beginning of 2022. But what that meant was some key data points for any business using like even the most basic level of, of digital marketing. If you use MailChimp, it will tell you open rates, right? And so open rates and click-throughs were the biggest way for spam filters to be able to access your inbox. And Apple just went bucket. And there's still like, that's the thing is everybody's still playing around with this in real time. If you're listening to this at any time in 2022, like there is a giant experiment going on and it's how much access feels okay, where a human being will still engage with my business and, and create an exchange because I haven't taken too much. I haven't gone too far. I mean, I think we all know what it's like when you comment on somebody's profile or page, and then suddenly you get 15 emails from them trying to sell you their next thing. So what Apple has done is like blitzkrieged <laughs> the digital marketing world. And they're actually opening any Apple user. And again, this is about 50% of all email on earth is open through an Apple device and with Apple Mail. And they're like blitzkrieging the system. And so their their servers are just opening all emails at different points. And so your open rate means nothing. It's not an average. It's not accurate. It tells you literally nothing right now as at June 8th, 2022, about who was opening your email. They also cannot track when emails are being opened. And oh my God, as I am saying this, I actually, I, I use something just because I am ADHD AF and it helps me remember that I need to follow up with people. That's the purpose of this particular app that I use. But I have noticed it's it's flicking like all of the time and telling me that an email is getting opened all like over and over and over and over again. And I thought maybe that was just the refresh rate on my computer. And I'm realizing now that's exactly what's going on here. So cookies and pixels, the way that Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, all, so many of these platforms have been able to see, does someone click through an ad? From that ad, do they go to your website? From that website, do they go to your sales page? From that sales page, do they buy? Can we then retarget them with an ad? That is opt-in, opt-out. So 50% of people just said, no, we're not doing this anymore. Couple that with the fact that we're not able to track the effectiveness of emails. And so then, so then what happens is basically everybody is getting marked as spam. <laughs> And emails aren't even aren't even getting into your spam folder. There's actually like a filter that happens before that as well. So if if you are reported as as abusing these email policies, you're out. I don't know how long I've been talking, but that is why everybody is talking about Web three. Okay, so the dystopian future is here right now, my friend. Let me paint the picture of the utopian future. 
because I don't see AI as replacing humans. Obviously, what we're witnessing right now is that won't fucking work. There is a place and a space for the human experience that tech cannot replace. And just because an ad might be unpredictably shown to you, that doesn't mean that the AI is out of control and we're about to lose all human faculty. In fact, what I see is the AI giving us the space for everything that humans were meant to do. There's a lot of fucking work. I have a very, very close friend, dear friend, long, long, long time friend. I would qualify them as a socialist. <laughs> I say that with reference and respect and love. We were at the grocery store and they started yelling, just yelling, not really at anyone in particular, but about the self-checkout and saying that we were replacing jobs and we're getting rid of people. I would say that the amount of checkout people I have engaged with in any country around the world that are really excited to be at their job, maybe 10%. And that is anecdotal. There's so much repetitive, robotic, soulless work that humans have had to engage in. It's, it's been a huge push to get to this point in technological and industrial development. And because we relied on humans to provide this, I mean, just painful level of service, what we did was sort of program humans to think that your work is your value and we pay you as a reward. Therefore, how much money you have and you get and you work for equates to your value in this society and this community. Now, we know that's not true. We know that every being is priceless and that your contribution could never be measured. However, in order to like, you know, it's like when you need to like wake up early and work out, you kind of trick yourself into thinking, well, I'm going to reward myself or like whatever the sort of dialogue is, the propaganda that you feed yourself in order to get yourself to do something. I mean, you know, apply that to humans for the last 2000 years from, you know, tilling someone's farmlands to working on a factory floor. Now, the fact that machine could replace is amazing, assuming that the support, the income, the revenue generated that provides a certain level of safety, security, and access for every human. And I don't actually think, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know what side of the fence the whole universal income thing really sits on. Because from my perspective, if we take care of people's basic needs, I mean, you think about it like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the eight limbs of yoga, whatever, you know, your kind of doctrine <laughs> may be. What people can eat, sleep, and be sheltered and clothed that allows them access to the next level of human experience. And for some of you who are like, well, that's not fair. If I'm working really hard and that person's not working at all. Here's the, th here's the thing, my friend. There, there are people right now <laughs> who aren't, aren't doing a lot. And that's their experience. And, and they're, they're making that work however they can. Some of them are getting support, okay? Now, I ask you, if I provided for your basic needs, let's just, let's just say that was $20,000 a year. And so you could pay for your living expenses. You could pay to eat basic utilities, water, electricity. That might, you know, those are, those are covered. Would you still work? Would you want more? Now, my favorite part about that is, firstly, you get to choose. But secondly, I know I, I'll answer for me. Fuck yeah, I would. <laughs> like, I want a hell of a lot more than that. 
But knowing that those things are taken care of, I really get to play now. And so like, sorry, this is my nerd. My nerd is going to show like hard. <laughs> I have a, 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 a noner, <laughs> nerdo, nerdo. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from that one. Um, like if you've seen any Star Trek movie, they're all walking around. And I say movie because that's the only time we ever see them like on these different like Earth-like planets, right? They're all walking around like there's no fucking pollution. Everybody's just like slender. And then these like monochromatic onesies and like having conversations and like just beep, boop, 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 beep, bing, And like food is materializing. And they're in these like crazy universe gym things where they can just like play and work out. And you get where I'm going with all of this. What if... Because tech is providing a certain level of work, we truly are able to connect, to exchange, to play. And that's where the ideas can come from that save this fucking world, that get rid of all of the trash and the waste. And we can go back to farming because we have the time and the space. Like for everyone yelling at me on the internet to like make my own fucking nut milk and grow my own food, like cool. Also, do you know how much fucking time it takes to garden and grow? And I get it, shift your priorities, but like there are a lot of priorities. A lot of that would be taken care of, even just for me, if we were at the point where tech were truly able to manage that sort of, you know, that basic level of, of humdrum life. So that's why, that's, that's my utopian vision. And, and now I'm going to kind of take it into the real world. So back to discovering NFTs, thinking about it, I was still, I mean, CryptoPunks, absolutely. I was still in the music industry and hearing about this kind of bubbling in the background, kind of looking into it. And when I realized that an artist, a, a band could release an album in a manner that someone could buy it. And once you have access to that person through their wallet, you could send them future stuff. You could send them your next single just secretly. You can invite them to be into your community, be in your community. You can have just a, a generic community happening online. And that was absolutely, at the time, that was just like Facebook, Facebook groups. Okay, cool. We can let people know about this, this crazy thing. And the idea that I can now, and this was as management, track every single person that buys that album. I'm not having to go through the record label. And even the, I mean, the record labels had no fucking idea who's buying this music. So people are buying your art. And you have no idea who they are and no access to them. And, and you're giving away 80% of your potential income for that. It's like completely mind-blowing. So to flip that on its head where the artist owns all of it and you can access these people and then you can reward them, that, that to me just in and of itself was crazy. But here's where we're at today. So artists, musical, visual, digital, physical in the sense of like sculpture and ceramics and architect. I mean, like essentially any creator right now are having so much more fun. And you're hearing, you know, world-renowned artists talk about making more money in the last year from NFTs than they have in the last 10 years from the music industry, but more importantly, getting to have fun. Because there's no, you know, there's only so much data you can fit onto a CD. And I know that's like super fucking old school, but I mean, that's where like, why an album, why 45 minutes? Because on a record, there was like, even on two sides, you could only fit three, maybe four songs. So that's where this like the, the formatting 
of art and the music world came from how much can be contained on these physical formats so that someone can actually purchase this and take it home and play it again on their time rather than only being able to experience this art in person while the artist is performing. Take a deep breath because I'm getting excited. Okay. So now as an artist, as a musical artist, I can create, firstly, I can build a community. I don't have to create shit. For a minute there, artists were having to get merch and record a demo, have a single or like three songs on some kind of a physical format that fans could buy at their first fucking show. It was insanity because that costs, that costs money. And so now you can build this community, you can play gigs, and, and those gigs can all happen online as well. From there, you could release NFTs. And it doesn't even have to be a thing. It could just be a picture <laughs> of you or, you know, a piece of art. And each one of them are different, but it can look the same. It's like the, this, these 10 series and you get 10.1, 10.2, 10.10, right? And they can charge whatever they want for that. Maybe it's just, maybe it's 10 bucks, you know, and they get a hundred bucks and then that goes and lets them buy a couple t-shirts, so on and so forth. It could be a hundred bucks. So they get a thousand dollars. It doesn't matter. But now they, that, that NFT lives in that, the buyer's wallet. Now, depending on the blockchain, the ecosystem, and I'll get into those definitions in a second, what's cool is that wallet is visible. And so your NFTs can be viewed and verified as owned on various different NFT platforms. And so for all of you who are like, who gives a fuck if you've got an ape as a fucking profile picture, you can see this artist, you don't care. So you don't. But someone who is in that community, a fan of that band, they give a shit. Think about like what you're interested in. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are like, why do you spend your Saturday mornings doing that? Or like, why did you wait an hour in line to get that thing? They're not in your ecosystem. They're not a member of your cult. They don't get it. And you, so you don't care. You don't take their opinion into, into consideration. That's the same thing with NFTs. It's not going to be for everybody. And not every NFT is going to be for everybody. But if you're into that particular community and, and what they think is valuable, then it's going to tickle your pickle. And so as a, as a buyer, I've now purchased this NFT. I've supported this band. That is obvious to everybody in the community. They can go and verify that I own this thing, this picture, this promise. And then the band blows up. And so now this NFT that I bought for 100 bucks is going to be perceived as much more valuable because there were only 10 ever made. I might change my mind. You know, a lot of people who first get interested in bands kind of get upset when like everybody else jumps on the bandwagon and then like you're too cool for school, right? And so now I'm like, well, I don't, I don't even like this band anymore. I'm going to sell this NFT. Now, previously, the artist, the band would never have had any awareness that I was doing that, let alone any influence in that transaction whatsoever. And they sure shit wouldn't have gotten anything out of that transaction. Now, with a smart contract, again, I'll get into this, they can program into the contract. They get a kickback when I sell it to somebody else. And that kickback can happen anytime there's another transaction. So every time I sell or that, that NFT gets sold, they get 2%. And that 2% is in perpetuity. And so let's say I sell mine for a thousand bucks because there were only 10 ever. And now this is like a, a, a band that people know and like. So they get $200. Now the owner of that $1,000 NFT, like what if this band goes parabolic? And now they own this NFT for a thousand bucks. 
they can sell it for $10,000 or maybe $100,000. And now the band is getting two grand or potentially $20,000. So that's a fucking game changer. The second part, and it's not just the money, but like that band's kids, their grandkids, like this is how you can create legacy wealth in the artist and creative community. One. Two. I now, as the creator, as the manager, so firstly, like as the artist, I haven't had to do anything to facilitate that, right? So think about it in terms of like ticket sales. Firstly, right now, when you buy a ticket, it is an NFT. It is a non-fungible token. There's, It's a one of one. Your ticket is not the exact same as somebody else's ticket. It gives you access to something for a limited period of time once. That's what all the smart contract programming is, is it's just those parameters, right? Now, if I, as the ticket holder, want to sell that, right now I have to go to like scam websites or like like post it in the community and then like people message and they call you and then they're like, oh, then mow you the money. And like, it's all kind of sketchy and weird. With NFTs, all of that data is verified. And in the community, people can transact independently of any third party and it is secure. You can immediately go to the blockchain and see that that transaction has happened. And where the, the quote unquote hacking is happening is that someone is sending the address that that ticket is being sent to may or may not be the address that you intended it to be, right? So you're familiar with the concept of NFTs, especially when you think about it in terms of like music and bands and tickets. The fact that I as the ticket seller or I as the ticket holder can now maneuver this ticket around in the market and everybody gets paid the and the original like me as the ticket seller I still have access to whomever may have purchased this ticket however many times it's exchanged hands and I didn't have to do anything like that's fucking awesome moreover I now have access to that person so even if the show's done or even if the transaction is complete I can then send them something as a thank you, or I can send them something as a teaser because their wallet on their computer is an address that I have. And all it is is a mailing address. It it doesn't give me access to what other 25 websites they went to that day or what other bands that they're listening to. It's one point of contact, one point of exchange that we are both completely aware of exists And more importantly, for these communities, for these holders, for these collectors, you can display that and and flex. Like I, I'm one of these early adopters. I'm one of the OGs. I'm I'm an original holder of one of these things. I'm the original investor. I got in at the beginning. And for some people, that's fucking cool. They really like that. (laughs) And so again, when you're like, I don't give a shit about that stuff, like, why do you wear clothes? Why do you drive the car that you drive? Why do you drink the coffee that you drink? Why do you prefer certain brands and beverages? Why do you listen to what you listen to? All of those things are signifiers. They show you what's important to you and what you participate in, and they show others. And so at the very least, you know, you can spot that person across the hall in all black with a fucking metal shirt on and Liberty Spikes. And you're like, that person's in my club. (laughs) Or you can spot someone in a suit with a red tie and no, you know, no socks on and penny loafers. And you know, that person's in my club. Humans are tribal. We know that. And so this is how we then gather in a borderless, limitless universe. So now I'm going to kind of get into the nitty gritty of what's really going on here and, and the sort of terminology. So NFTs, 
cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and smart contract. I'm going to start with the blockchain, even though I said a third. So blockchain sounds like super confusing and it's like very techie. <laughs> we're, we're very used to using strings of data to represent a thing. It happens all the fucking time. You look at a picture on the internet, it is a string of data. If you've ever hit, I forget what the actual, I probably should look this up. Let me see if I can do this while we're still here. If you go to view in your internet browser, and it depends which browser you're using, you can, you, you can see the code that is behind the page. Now, obviously, if you're not a coder, or you're not a developer, it doesn't fucking mean much. It just looks like a bunch of like numbers and letters. We've been using this for ages. Every time you use your ATM card or credit card, you are using a physical object to represent a series of numbers and letters that translate into a perceived value. So what blockchain is, is if you think of a block, it's quite literally a block or a ball, a, an amalgamation, <laughs> a fistful of numbers and letters. In the crypto world, they call it a hash. And it is representative of a thing. It might be a currency. It might be a smart contract. It might be an NFT for this conversation. Now, that fistful of data will connect to another fistful of data when a transaction occurs. When that fistful of data goes from one place to another, when it triggers one action to create an end result. And when those two fistfuls of data have connected, they've transacted, the action kicked off and the result occurred, they're now chained together. And the reason for this is because when you go to some of these different ecosystems, you can see every single transaction. It's all out there. It's all open source. It's, it's viewable. It's verifiable. And it is permanent. It cannot be undone. So that is what the blockchain is. If you go to etherscan.io, you can see what is happening on the Ethereum blockchain in real time. And it's bananas. You'll see like thousands of transactions occurring every second. And what you'll see is a from and a to. The from is an address. The to is another address. And that's where the data is, the fistful of data is going from one place to another. Now, obviously on the Ethereum blockchain, that is a transaction of Ethereum. And so Ethereum is going from an address to an address via the blockchain. It's using the blockchain as like a little sort of path and navigation <laughs> route so that the Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, so we'll get into that next, can go from one place to another. So all cryptocurrency is, is the digital representation of money. And the reason it's called crypto is because it is encrypted, cryptographic encryption. And all you need to know with encryption like if it like think about it like the matrix, so like all of those fucking, you know, numbers and letters moving up and down the screen. When your data goes from one address to the other, it is encrypted. And so even though there's a certain order of like letters and numbers that then symbolize this thing, those are all get kind of mixed up so that it is secure. And in real time, no one can can access those data packets, those blocks of data. Now, what happens at the from or the to, that's a little different. We're not getting into that. But so that's, and, and again, you're very used to this concept of cryptocurrency. You use it all of the time when you're exchanging Australian dollars into US dollars or Japanese yen into Swiss franc. Those are different representations of money. And we've simply agreed upon 
what that looks like. In cryptocurrency, there are thousands of these representations. And when we say we agree upon the value, that's what's magic about Web3 is because no longer are the banks and the you know, world economic leaders telling us what this piece of paper or this plastic card have access to and what's that's worth. And no longer are their abilities to just raise interest rates or make laws and regulations around lending the only way of transacting. Those will absolutely and forever, most likely, continue. We have another option now. And that's what's cool. This isn't about the end and the death of the economic system. No. And obviously, a lot of the ways that we've been engaging with money and thinking about money are still being translated into this digital experience. But we get to really play with it now and see what works and see what doesn't work. And that's what's happening with Web3. The turn was actually coined in 2014 by, oh my God, one of the Ethereum creators. I want to say Guy, I have his name somewhere. I actually took a picture of him. Anywho, because what what Web3 means to solve is the permissionless and the decentralization of what turned into Web2. So the term's been around for a minute. It, it became the buzzword because of what I talked about earlier with Apple kind of changing the game on everybody. And the reason I am so passionate about it is because once again, we're at this junction where actually every, there's been a massive shakedown and we're all standing at the front of the line right now, all of us. And I realized I'm having conversations every fucking day with small business in our local economies, and we're not talking about this. And never before has a small business owner essentially had the same level of access to the, the potential of selling and selling on a grand scale and making I don't, like more money than ever before, but having having more loyalty, having more success, having more stability, more security, more access than ever before. And, and like kind of on an equal playing field. I mean, especially right now, it didn't matter what your fucking Facebook ad spend was in the last six months. It didn't matter how technological and how smart your data analytics were. All of that went out the window. Entire businesses shut down in the last six months. Some of your biggest competitors just don't exist anymore because none, they put all of their eggs in the one basket and then big daddy tech kicked that basket. So we talked what, about blockchain, about cryptocurrency. So an NFT, I, I alluded to it. Think about it like a ticket to a show. It's just that ticket lives on the blockchain. So that ticket is represented by a series of letters and numbers. Now with a cryptocurrency, those series of numbers, like with Bitcoin, there's 21 million Bitcoins, theoretically speaking, right? So there are 21 of the exact same series of letters and numbers. Now with an NFT, there's only one. And that, that can represent whatever you want. Is it an NFT that different than like a, a coin, a token? No. That's why it's a token. Like we just use the word coin because that's sort of like universal language for money, right? Whereas NFT doesn't necessarily represent money. An NFT can represent a whole shitload of things. I'll probably get that into that like the next time around. Otherwise, I'm going to be talking for fucking ages. So why does any of this? Oh, oh, sorry. Let me smart contract. All a smart contract is think of it like a program. Think of it like an app. 
it is a a series or not even a series it is it is one automated executionable action and so a smart contract can be programmed into an nft so that as an artist you say this is this is the thing that i am representing with this nft that thing is going to be worth one ether one bitcoin whatever ecosystem you're building out these you know one avax these nfts on right but anytime this NFT is sold, I get 2% back. Also, 1% goes to this charity. And here's their wallet on the blockchain. So 3% of all purchases, you know, and any reselling of this go back. It's going to be your most simple, right? It's two, two smart contracts, two executionable automated actions. And then anytime that item is sold, a percentage of the sales price goes back to you as the creator and to that charity that you want to give to. So why is this flipping everything on its head? What has been so cool to me about participating in these communities and in this environment is we're really getting to play with this concept of money and of value and of currency. So if you can just create any currency you fucking want anytime, I mean, there are literally thousands of currencies out there right now, and, and they exist in different ecosystems on different blockchains. None of them have any inherent value. And so this is where all the traditionalists and the investors will say, well, there's no fundamentals, so it's not worth anything. Sure, I'm not going to argue with that. But what's fucking cool is how then do we create the value as, you know, the artist, as the business owner? And that, my friend, is where the human gets to play. So by building this community, by listening, by connecting, Suddenly there's an importance, there's an exclusivity, there's a, a language that develops. And that's why crypto has felt so inaccessible is because we feel like we're not a part of the club, right? Well, now this is your opportunity to create your own club. And if you have customers, clients, or buyers, if you have a team that you work with, if you have interests and values, not values in terms of monetary, values in terms of principles and priorities, that's where you can start to create these connections, these little, these little gatherings. And then from there, you can see, is this something that's going to be of value to me? How could I potentially use this new tech, these, this new ability to exchange with people who perceive what I do as valuable because we share those values? And that's why this is the time. So you get to create your value. No longer does value have to be tied to the U.S. dollar or gold or oil or whatever. Money has been a metric of value because we were programmed to do shit, backbreaking work for thousands of years for other people so that other people could profit. We realize that money cannot buy happiness now. So money is losing its intrinsic perception of value. It's simply becoming a tool. And one of the things that can happen in cryptocurrencies and what they call tokenomics, which is just a fun way of saying, well, how can we actually create reward and financial reward? If we can just make up currency, then what if people can earn simply by being here? And this kind of brings us full circle, right? What if we get a certain level of support simply for participating? If you have questions about that, let's fucking talk about it. It takes it to another level. I don't want to overcomplicate. I've been talking for a minute now. But I guess what I am challenging here is that this is this is not the end of everything that's been. Every time new tech comes out, we're like, you know, when video game, games came out, we're like, kids are going to never play with toys anymore. Now, like the video game toy industry is popping the fuck off. Like every 50-year-old I know has a wall of fucking children's toys 
that they spent a lot of fucking money on because they are the video game characters that they used to play. And so the toy manufacturers from the 50s are all, you know, living on their own islands right now, sipping freaking pina coladas because <laughs> because of video games, right? So these these technologies and these introductions, they get to layer on top of each other. And it's humans that get to create that value and create what comes next. So this is a shift. And it, any shift, any change can be hard. It can be painful and you can feel left out. But I promise you, this is the time to be excited because everything that you hate, all of the problems that you rally against, they could potentially be solved by this. Now, I'm not saying I know how. I'm not saying I have the solution. I don't think anyone is out there. That's the other brilliant part about what I'm hearing for anybody who is interested in this, this evolution of the internet and technology, which we've called Web3. It's, it, the term is in and of itself meaningless. But it gives us an understanding as humans to go, okay, there's been a line drawn in the sand. And what we're doing now is decentralized, permissionless access. So no longer will one entity be able to police or gatekeep access. Again, think the banks, think the social media platforms, think the Amazons at the Microsofts and the Apples of the world. Because we as users and as community hosts and as buyers are now in charge. And we, when we say that Web3 is trustless or permissionless, what that means is we are no longer inadvertently giving away our rights. Our, what we do on the internet, how we act, where we go, all of that is now within our control. And we can opt in to participate rather than having that participation assume that now people have access to everything the fuck we're doing. So this is exciting. And it is early fucking days. So by creating your first NFT, by figuring out, do I have a community? Do I want a community? How do I, how do I want to engage with this community? And the way, to, the way to get those answers is just do it. Discord, Telegram, WhatsApp, these are, you know, Twitter. You can get on Twitter right now and just search NFTs and just start following some people. See how people are talking about it. It's going to be, a, it's the wild, wild west right now on Twitter. But what you'll start to see are some cool people. And you can go to my Twitter at the BZ channel and you'll see who I'm following. Those people are, are, in my opinion, the leaders right now. That's why I follow them. But like, that's the transparency that we're talking about. Every single artist, every single trailblazer in the Web3 community has their own container right now. And for the most part, it's existing on Discord. You can get into a Discord. It doesn't cost any money. And you can see how people are building community, engaging with community, and most importantly, leveraging community, using that community to create something of value, whatever, whatever they want that to be. So the fear that you've missed out, the fear that you might not get this, the fear that whatever it is, that it, and even if it shows up more like antagonism, like, fuck this, this is the end of the world, this is bullshit. Like, even if you're looking to build a community so that you can go homestead and like, quote unquote, off grid, I am that I know I could list off 10 quote unquote off grid communities that were able to buy the land that now with their crypto are staking it, saving it, essentially earning interest on it. And that is how they are still able to buy the supplies that they need in the 3D <laughs> capitalist societies within which they are living on the fringes of. So even if it's like, and I, I mean, honestly, if you're listening to this, you're probably not one of those people, although you might have be contemplating it. 
that's what's so fucking cool about this is that you can you can like take like everything you hate about the capitalist utilitarian oligarchy that we're probably all participating in and like leverage that so this might not be for you if you've gone to the end of this I don't, but i'm not saying that this is like the magic pill that's going to solve everything what i'm saying is we have a, a door open that we have no idea what's on the other side of it and literally 99% of the world population right now is standing on this side of the door where you and I, I, I mean, I might be on the other side of the door. I don't want to big up myself. I'm like opening the door. I'm, I'm ushering <laughs> right now. Okay. And I've also like, I go in, I go out, I go in, I go out. I'm trying to figure it out myself, but we're going to figure it out together. There's a guide that's going to be dropping. I am really going to start shifting my conversations that I'm having. Yes, I am still business coaching. I had someone ask if I was still business coaching the other day. When I get like obsessed with something, this is what happens. And it's been bubbling in the background for ages. I definitely didn't think because I'm not a programmer. I'm not a coder. I didn't buy fucking, actually I did buy Bitcoin in 2009, but then I sold it in 2012. Oopsie. You know, so like I didn't think I could have this conversation. That's, you know, another reason why I'm doing this is because I'm not the developer. I have learned how to be able to read what's happening on these these scanners and, and how to decentralize, use decentralized platforms and my own wallet and all that, you know, very quickly. And it's because everything changes. I, I'm in a, a community of like deep crypto investors right now and someone kind of hopped in and they said, I haven't really been paying much attention. I've just been staking that, you know, where you just put your coin somewhere and earn interest for not quite a year now. And I feel like the entire landscape has changed. And that's true. And it is changing so quickly that even if you are dipping your toes in right now, you were still one of the earliest adopters of this tech. So I'm going to leave it with that. I have spooked myself enough in this episode. You know where to find me. You know how to get your questions answered. You know everything. And I empower you, I implore you to experiment, have a play, mint an NFT. I'll show you how. Okay. I love you. Thank you for listening.